we've put together a brand new sample of RAR Premium. So if you've been on the fence about joining us inside RAR Premium, you can get a free sample now to see if it's a good fit for your family. To get that free sample, go to readaloudrevival.com slash sample or just text the word RAR sample like it's all squished together in one word. <laughs> RAR sample to the number 33777. Okay, here's the show. Hey, hey, Sarah McKenzie here, and this is the Read Aloud Revival, the podcast that helps your kids fall in love with books and helps you fall in love with homeschooling. Today on the podcast, I'm sharing one of our more popular episodes. I hear about this episode every time I travel to a homeschool conference without fail. At least one person comes up to me and says, dyslexia was not even on my radar. And then I listen to your podcast episode with Marianne Sunderland. <laughs> Here's the deal. Most of us don't really understand what dyslexia is or what it looks like. So we don't know the signals to look for. We don't know what to do if our kids do show those signs of having a dyslexic brain. So today I'm replaying that infamous episode <laughs> with Marianne because it is so, so good. Way more kids are dyslexic than we previously knew. And this is not bad news because what we know is that a dyslexic brain is not a disorder. We used to think of it as a learning disability or a learning disorder. Dyslexia is no such thing. Nothing needs fixing. It means God made your kid's brain and very likely your brain or your husband's brain because dyslexia is genetic. So God made that brain, a dyslexic brain, in a way that processes language differently. And what that means is that we should be teaching dyslexic brains in a way that makes sense to dyslexic brains, right? We should be teaching this child the way God made their brain. And so this is really good news. I cannot emphasize enough that if you have any academic frustrations with your child of any age, that you listen through this episode, even if dyslexia is currently nowhere on your radar, even if you're like, well, my kid can read, listen anyway. Just listen. <laughs> See what you think, because it might actually shine some light on something. And what I've heard time and time and time again from listeners is that this episode was a breakthrough in their own child's academic career because it really helped shed light on some things and helped them get the help they needed. So listen in, or if you have a friend that's struggling academically with a kid, send her this episode. Say, hey, listen in. I don't know if this is going to help, but it's worth a listen. All right, without further ado, here is that episode with Marianne Sunderland. What do Henry Ford, Walt Disney, and Albert Einstein have in common? Let's add a few to the list. How about Hans Christian Andersen, the Wright brothers, and Steve Jobs? If you answered that they were all wildly successful people who had a tremendous impact on the world, you're right. But you're only half right. They were all also dyslexic. And they accomplished great things, not despite their dyslexia, but at least in part because of it. What you think you know about dyslexia, in fact, may very well be wrong. So today we're diving in. Is your child dyslexic? And if so, what does that mean? And what should you do about it? All of this and more right here on the Read Aloud Revival. 
Dyslexia. It's one of the things we're asked about most here at Read Aloud Revival, and it's no wonder. Dr. Sally Shaywitz, co-director of the Yale Center for Dyslexia and Creativity, estimates that 80 to 90 percent of children who struggle with learning disorders have dyslexia. That's as many as one in five children. Also, dyslexia is highly genetic, which means if one of your kids struggles with dyslexia, it's pretty likely that another one may as well. Today, we're going to talk about the signs of dyslexia, how to spot it, and what to do if you're pretty sure your child is indeed dyslexic. In order to do that, we're going to talk to someone who knows. So I called in Marianne Sunderland. And trust me, Marianne knows. Seven of her eight children are dyslexic, and she's become a passionate and educated advocate. She runs the website homeschoolingwithdyslexia.com, and she authored the book I recommend you read first if you suspect dyslexia in your home. It's called Dyslexia 101 by Marianne Sunderland. We'll have a link to it in the show notes. There are a lot of misconceptions about what dyslexia is, so I asked Marianne to start our conversation by describing dyslexia to us so we have a better understanding right from the get-go. There's a lot of misunderstandings about dyslexia, but at its core, it's inherited brain wiring difference that affects a person's language acquisition skills. So it's inherited, it's genetic. It's caused by a difference in brain wiring. And the weakness that you see is difficulty with the language. It could be with the written word. It could be hearing. It's processing delays or processing lags. In the 1990s, Sally Shaywitz and her team at Stanford, they did a test or they, they did functional MRIs on the brains of good readers and not so good readers. And they found that in the not so good readers, the impulse went from the eye with 20-20 vision, the good readers, it went straight to the reading center of the brain. But the not so good readers, the path was much more convoluted. And so they discovered then that it really was just a brain wiring difference. And but what's cool about dyslexia and what they're finding out more and more now is a lot of the strengths that are associated with on the flip side of that weakness, where say they're not very detail-oriented, they can also tend to be entrepreneurial or inventive engineering, like some of the famous names that you mentioned in the intro. This is a strength of dyslexia. And so it's kind of cool. Like now people are starting to look at dyslexia. Yeah, it's tough when they're learning to read and write, but as they get older, you know, they're all full of surprises. <laughs> yeah, I think for, I mean, at least for me, for so long, I thought of dyslexia as a learning disorder, but it feels like what you're describing is more just of a learning difference. Like there's nothing wrong with a dyslexic brain. It's just wired differently than a non-dyslexic brain. Yes. One of the myths about dyslexia is that it's just low IQ. You know, whenever you see someone who's not spelling well, your first instinct is, oh, well, they can't spell, right? They're not that smart or whatever. But actually, they all, almost always have average to above average intelligence. So it's not a true disability in the sense of the word. Yeah, yeah. Which makes sense because I think in your book, Dyslexia 101, that was one of the things you mentioned was you have this bright child who can engage in conversation and is otherwise, you know, is very bright. And yet they struggle so much with these language processing, which shows up as having a hard time maybe learning to read or struggling to spell or write. And so then that's sort of the red flag. What are the warning signs? What should we be watching for that could be an indication that our child might be dyslexic? 
So you can Google lists and there's lists on my website, but essentially you're going to see like an otherwise bright child struggling to master just the concepts of reading. So they may have trouble remembering their sounds, just the basic sounds, especially vowels. Vowels can be especially I and E, short I and short E. Those are very similar. So you'll see that you'll always see difficulties with spelling. Now, a lot of kids struggle or they spell phonetically while they're young. But after a couple of years of instruction, they should be learning more how to you know, remember sight words and so forth. So as a child gets older, you'll see reversals beyond first grade. So they're reversing their B's and their D's and their P's and their Q's and whatever, and lots of other things. But some other things that you don't always recognize or you may not realize is things like tying shoes. Very difficult for kids with dyslexia. Rhyming is a big one. So being able to pick words that rhyme is always difficult. Prepositions like up and down or yesterday and tomorrow, or, you know, they have a really hard, I mean, my 17 year old the other day got yesterday and tomorrow mixed up you know, because she just wasn't thinking. It just kind of came out. So so directions can be hard for them. So there's there's lots of little things. And then when they're reading, you'll see them guessing a lot. So whereas a child with some phonics instruction is being taught, you know, to sound things out, they're kind of looking at the shape. They're using context. They're like, well, it starts with a P, you know, and they kind of guess. They'll also skip small words and sentences. And you'll see things like a sight word like the, They'll see it in a sentence and you'll say, well, that's the word the, you know, and then on the next line, when the comes up again, they're just, it's like they never saw it before. So you're laughing. I'm nodding. Our listeners can't see me nodding vigorously over here, but because, uh, (laughs) because when I first realized that one of our kids was dyslexic and now I'm realizing I more recently have realized that several of our children are dyslexic. The first time I realized it and I was looking at this list of possible warning signs and one of them said something about calendars and sequential time being a difficult thing to learn. And I know with one of my kids, I mean, I really thought this child will never, ever, ever learn the 12 months of the year. Never. Like we can go over it. It does not matter how many times we go over it. And then of course you're saying, you know, the vowel sounds and I just had a reading lesson this morning, but I just thought, wow, this is okay. I just read, reread Dyslexia 101. So I am, I am feeling very energized and optimistic, (laughs) but otherwise I would have gone, oh my goodness, I cannot believe we're still doing this. Yeah. And it's very common that that's why it's so good to just like you you read the book and you're like, okay, these things are normal because our kids are really trying hard. And one of the pitfalls of a child with dyslexia being in school, like a, a traditional school setting, is that teachers really aren't trained to understand dyslexia. It's no fault of theirs. It's just how education is designed, but they're often misunderstood. You know, it, they look lazy or like they're not trying or not paying attention. And the irony is, is they're really trying harder than any other kid. They're really, really trying to remember. They're trying to focus. Uh, a lot of kids with dyslexia also have some kind of focus struggle, whether it's ADD or ADHD, you know, somewhere between 40 and 60% of kids, you know, with dyslexia will struggle with that too. So they have, it's so important to, to just understand and be gracious. And um, we can talk more about that, but having homeschooled eight kids to read now and seven of them were dyslexic. There's a special seat for you in heaven, I think. (laughs) (laughs) When my one non-dyslexic kid learned to read from Explode the Code, I I seriously went in my room and just cried a little bit. I was like, oh my gosh, 
Yeah, I hear other people say, you know, my child just taught themselves how to read. That's what my mom says about me, in fact, and I don't remember learning how to read at all. And I thought maybe out of six, I'd get one that could teach themselves how to read, but that didn't happen for me. (laughs) Yes. And so that's how a lot of kids learn to read. You just give them a little instruction, a reading rich environment, read to them, right? And they learn to read. And I actually really thought I was hard on myself. I thought I was doing things wrong. And especially because my oldest was dyslexic and we had just started homeschooling, you know, I got a lot of flack from well-meaning family, like maybe you should put him in school. And it was like, maybe I should, but can I share a story? Is this? Please. Yes. Okay. So when my oldest son was 10 or is he nine, nine or 10, we had four kids. We took a three-year sailing trip. So we rented out our house to some friends from church and we went sailing for three years. And it was funny because I really wanted to stay back and do like reading tutoring. And my husband, who's dyslexic, was like, eh, I learned to read. He's fine. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> okay. But the people who rented our house had kids, our kids' ages, and they went to the local public school. And lo and behold, their oldest daughter had dyslexia and she was ridiculed in class. Like you would think, I mean, we live in a fairly like upper middle class, you know, educated area, you know, but this teacher, came in and it would make her read in front of the class and then embarrass her. And oh, the she was ridiculed by the teacher, not even by the students. Wow. Yeah. And so, you know, we came back and, you know, I had still had that thought because we were still trying to teach him to read, you know, while we're out there. But, you know, I was like, okay, maybe schools don't have all the answers, you know, and it kind of was like one little bit of info at a time, you know, to keep me on the path that we went on. And so now I'm here to say, hey, This is how it works, you know? (laughs) I mean, every homeschool parent, I think at one time or another goes, am I ruining my kids? Am I actually destroying their education by trying to do this myself? And first of all, that's such a normal feeling. We all feel that way, although we don't talk about it often enough, I think. But then to hear, we do tend to have that default of, they would probably get a better education if it wasn't me teaching. So for you to get have that experience where you found that actually what you were able to give your son at home was better than he might have gotten at school, very likely in this situation, is really encouraging, I think, for a lot of us to go, okay. It really was. It, it really gave me just enough strength to keep going. And I think that was, we got back when he was 12 and he learned to read that year. We used a great illustrated classics you know what those are? Get them off eBay and stuff where they have like big print and a picture on every other page. And um, someone said to me once, I'm glad my kid was still dyslexic because they didn't read a bunch of junk. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's right. They they bypass a lot of the <laughs> a lot of the stuff you don't really want them to read. Yeah, it takes them so long to read. You know, they just they <laughs> like I, my library is sufficient. They don't have to scour, you know, the next library. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to get into, in this episode, I'd love to just get into a few more nuts and bolts for people who are listening who think, wait a second, I think it's possible that one of my kids is dyslexic or maybe more than one of my kids is dyslexic. And what I found, first of all, listeners, I want to highly, highly recommend Marianne's book, Dyslexia 101. It's a quick read. I mean, I know as a busy mom, if I see a big old tome (laughs) that's like going to take me a long time to get through, I feel like it's one more thing to my to-do list. But I would suggest Dyslexia 101 as the first place you should go. 
if you suspect dyslexia in your kids because it's quick, you can read it in an evening, it's practical, and it's encouraging. So whether or not you're thinking of your four-year-old, your eight-year-old, your 12-year-old, or your 16-year-old right now as we're talking, this book is going to have some tools for you, next steps, and some encouragement along the way. And actually, look, that kind of leads me into my next question, Marianne, which is, do kids grow out of dyslexia? And can we talk about the genetic component for just a minute? No, kids don't outgrow it and they are not cured of it. So if you ever read something that says, you know, we'll cure your child of dyslexia, run. Because it's it's not a matter of being cured. It's a matter of just being taught systematically how to read. And so now my oldest son, I, I didn't use any Orton-Gillingham or a, a dyslexia approved curriculum. I used probably everything else, but I didn't use that because I didn't know it existed. But he, you know, he learned to read. So all kids can learn to read. And the the genetic part of it is, I don't know, I think it's dominant (laughs) because of my eight kids, seven are dyslexic. Yeah, yeah. And I think probably out of my six, I'm pretty confident that four are dyslexic. I know for sure that two are pretty strongly dyslexic. And maybe five. I mean, like, I'm not really sure. You know, I know that you mentioned this in your book, that there is very, there are varying degrees degrees. Thank you. I was looking for the word, couldn't find it. (laughs) Very degrees of dyslexia. Yeah. So, so a lot of people who are more mildly dyslexic will get by in school, but it's very difficult. And so those people tend to feel like they're stupid. Like, why is it so easy for everybody else? It's hard for me. I have all the whole range. I have a couple severely or profoundly dyslexic kids. One of them is 23 now and he's wildly successful, took his college fund and invested it, started a business. You can't even keep up with the kid. He's just like, so he has such a vision. And you know, the thing, oh my goodness, all through school, he was so social. And I kept being like, sit down, pay attention. You know, like you have to to write this essay. You have to compare Shakespeare to love in the Bible, you know, or, you know, That poor kid, you know. Firstborns, they're resilient because they have to be the guinea pigs for all of us, right? <laughs> yes, I did, a, I did a dyslexia simulation. I have one on my website during my, I was trained as a dyslexia tutor. And I did this simulation and he, we have a, like an office school room and I, he was behind me in the office and I just, I was crying and I just looked at him. I was like, I am so sorry. <laughs> like I had no idea because he'd be bored and I'd be like, read a book. Because that's what I used to do as a kid, you know, and I didn't realize like it's really hard for kids with dyslexia to read and adults with dyslexia, they can learn to read, you know, it doesn't go away. They probably will prefer things like audiobooks or podcasts or YouTube or things like that to learn. Although some become avid readers, it just depends on the person. Well, that's one of the gifts of audiobooks, I think. I mean, I tell the story often of my son when we would do quiet reading time in the afternoon and I would send a couple of my, you know, all my kids to go read in their rooms, but he wasn't reading on his own yet. So he just devoured the Redwall series on audio. And what happens, I found this so often by talking to other parents too, and I'm wondering if this is your experience, Marianne, that these kids who are later readers because they're dyslexic, who have gotten a lot of audiobooks, have all this really good language inside of them. They've heard all this good language. So once they start reading, it's not like it takes the same amount of time to get from frog and toad 
to Robinson Crusoe or whatever, you know, there's a shorter line between those two things. Mm-hmm. It's very true. I used to call it, well, I still kind of call it middle school magic. Like it doesn't matter what you do with your kid by middle school, they'll be reading like the penny drops, you know, and I'm reading this book on unschooling and I'm thinking, have I been spinning my wheels this whole time? Like, should I have just waited <laughs> and gone to the park? But yes, so they catch up really quickly. My oldest, I mean, he excelled in English in high school. And that was this class I was the most worried about, but his vocabulary was off the charts because he would listen to books that like I couldn't even follow, you know, the the Lord of the Rings series. And I was like, wait, who's that? And what's that person? And where's that? You know, and and he's just like processing all of this information and building pictures in his head and This is making me think because I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves as homeschooling parents to give our kids everything they're going to need to succeed, right? Like like whether or not we do a good job or not is going to be the trajectory, impact the trajectory of their life. And to some degree, of course, that's true. But I was just thinking about this the other day because my oldest is a freshman in college. Actually, she's a sophomore now. She just, she finished her freshman year a little early. We never really did a grammar program. Well, fast forward now, and here she is, an English major with a concentration in editing and publishing. You know, even just when she graduated, she was still, I'm sorry, Audrey, I'm totally telling on you in this episode, and you're going to hear it, I'm sure. She was using commas like cupcake sprinkles is what I always thought of it. You know, like she would write this beautiful essay, so one, like a really good essay. And then I think she would look at it and go, well, there should probably be some commas in here and I don't know how to use them. So I don't know where they should go, you know? So she'd kind of sprinkle it throughout. So the summer between her graduation and college, she did one of those really skinny workbook things that's just like commas. I mean, I can't even remember what brand it was. It doesn't even matter. It was just one of those little workbooks that's like how to use commas. She did it in like, I don't know, a week or something on her own. And now she can use commas and she's doing just fine. So it's like one of those things where we kind of think we have to slave over all this curriculum for years and years and years to make sure our kids get it. And that's not always the case. A lot of voices might tell you that you need to learn how to get better at homeschooling. But I know something about you. You don't actually need to homeschool better. You need to homeschool happier, to have more fun, to smile more, laugh more. You want a twinkle in your eye (laughs) and you want your kids to know deep in their bones that you love homeschooling them. That twinkle is worth pursuing too, because the key to a successful homeschool is a peaceful, happy mother. And that's what we're committed to helping you become at RAR Premium. RAR Premium is a unique program that offers mentoring for you, the homeschool mom, and we offer Open and Go Family Book Club. This is a family book club you can use with all ages from 4 to 17, and it will explore language arts, reading, and we often dip into writing, science, history, all across the curriculum as we uncover so many good and meaningful ideas. The best news is we do all the prep work for you. If you'd like to get a free sample of RAR Premium so you can see if it's a good fit for your family, head to readaloudrevival.com slash sample, or you can just text RAR sample, one word, to the number 33777 and we'll send it your way. Now back to the show.
So four of my kids are adults now. And my 22-year-old, she's a senior in college, more mildly dyslexic, some ADD. And getting her to do math in college or in high school was like, I mean, I, I signed her up for a tutor and she'd come out of her room and be like, I don't want to go and do my homework. And I was like, you get in that car and you go to that tutor or you're paying for it. You know, and she'd be like, oh, okay. And so off she went. <laughs> I mean, it got that bad. It was just like, oh my goodness, you know. Anyway, so she got through algebra her senior year of high school and went on to college. And doesn't she decide to be a kinesiology major and she needs all this math? But she was working at a physical therapist's office and like she'd been involved in dance and sports and stuff. And so she really wanted to be a physical therapist and good grades were important, you know, because it's hard to get into the programs. And that kid went through, I think she took the placement test and needed to do like algebra again. So she took algebra and advanced algebra and trigonometry or something and pre-calc and statistics and aced them all. And I was like, huh. That's interesting because I couldn't barely get you to do enough math to graduate from high school, but it was all motivation. It was all internal motivation, right? Yes. Anything you couldn't have done for her, actually. No, I could not have. And so I really, it really, I've seen it in all of my adult kids. Just when they find their thing, they just take off. And so I have really been able to back off big time on my fear of not teaching commas or missing a period of history or like they just, my boys are like medieval, medieval. I'm like, we should really study U.S. history. No, medieval, medieval. But I don't worry anymore because I mean, like, I know this is sort of cliche, but if you raise your kids to like to learn, they're always going to be learning. And all of my adult kids for all of my failures, and there were many, are lifelong learners. Okay. So I think one of the fears that I have had you know, especially when I first had those first thoughts of, I think maybe my kids or a certain child or any of my kids might be dyslexic. And I was worried that they wouldn't love reading because of course I want my kids to love reading. So how can dyslexia impact a child's love of reading as far as you can tell? Well, really it has nothing to do with reading. It has to do with their teacher. So I was just reading, I don't know, I read a lot, but I think it was in my unschooling book this Unschooled by Carrie McDonald. She was talking about, you know, a boy in school and he's in, I don't know, second grade and he's labeled behind and he's getting assignments and school became, or reading became kind of a a chore and almost a punishment and you have to read before you can do anything fun. And that's the surest way to get your kids to hate reading. And kids with dyslexia, like they do really well with graphic novels and things like that. So in comes like dog man, you know, and I'm thinking, oh, you know, there's all these, like they're cute little graphic novels. And I was just like, okay, well, they'll just hurry and get through that, you know, <laughs> they'll get through that phase really quickly and get onto the good stuff, you know. And my 13 year old just said to me, I don't know why you're making me read these chapter books. Like, I just really like the graphic novels, you know, and I'm, and I'm like thinking, oh, okay, <laughs> you know, like you can kind of, project your worry onto your kids. And so how I have helped my kids to not feel that is to, I do believe that it's important to use a good reading program. And I do believe it's important to start when they're school age, maybe six, five, six, seven, whatever you choose to do, whatever suits, you know, your particular homeschool style, 
use a program that works, Norton Gillingham program. It's like all about reading and all about spelling, Barton, Logic of English. Those three are really good. They're open and go pretty much. So just do them consistently three times a week and make it fun. And if you have to review the same thing over and over again, just do it. They will learn to read. And so just not stressing about it is super, super important. And then most dyslexic kids love a good story. So if you're reading, I mean, even my older kids will come and sit in the living room. You probably said this a thousand times, but they'll come out when I'm reading. You know, I remember like Redwall was a family favorite. They'll come out and listen. And so that's that's another way. I remember when one of my daughters, she's 17 now, she's a writing type, like she loves to write, very good with words. And she started listening to series of books from the library and her I remember her just walking out of her room and being like, like, <laughs> like the characters, I can't remember the name of the series. It was like these animals. And I don't know if you mentioned it, I would remember, but she was absolutely blown away at the characters and the plot twists and the uh, loving to actually physically read is very different from loving stories. What we really want our kids that love stories and can read, right? <laughs> yeah. So I basically, I have loads and loads of books all around the house that are readable. And I do require some quiet reading time, but I don't really say what they have to read. They can do whatever they want, but they often ends up being longer because they get into whatever they're doing. So, but letting them follow their interests. I've heard of kids, you know, who are real into sports. So their parents would get magazines for them or something so that they could read the stats. But following interests is huge. Absolutely huge. My second oldest daughter taught herself to read. You know, I'd given her some instruction, but she was struggling, but she loved animals. And, you know, she was number two of many. So we go to the library and get all the books and come back home and I could read a little bit, but I didn't really have time to really dedicate to one kid's interests, you know, have it like history or science or something. But she, she would sit down with those books and she basically cracked the code of reading because she wanted the information. And once again, we're back at that internal motivation, right? Because she wanted to get it for herself. Yeah. So I really, really encourage parents not to stress. Your kids will read. I'm not a full-on unschooler. I wouldn't really recommend not teaching them. I think it's important to have some instruction and that reading rich environment and limiting screen time and stuff like that. But yeah. We'll get into a little bit more on the details of those Orton Gillingham methods and why that works in our next episode, because I told you, I, uh, listeners, I told you, I, I'm so interested in this topic and I know so many of you are interested that we're doing two episodes on dyslexia. So, but I do want to read just underline the programs she mentioned, because I know a lot of you are going to be going and looking for some. So all about reading, logic of English. And those are the two that I've used. So those are the ones that stuck out to me. But Marianne, what was another? Barton, Susan Barton's reading program. Yes, excellent. And you know, it's interesting because my the first time I, I thought, you know, I think I have a kid who, who's dyslexic. I think we're, I don't think he's going to learn reading the same way that I expected him to learn to read. I had tried all these different reading programs and he was nine. Let me think. He was about nine. He might've been a little like eight and a half or something when I moved over to All About Reading and didn't know that it was because it was Orton Gillingham or that it's especially good for dyslexic kids or anything. But that's the program. I mean, he was 
in the middle of all about reading level three. And he went from reading Frog and Toad to reading these really long novels, <laughs> like in this really short amount of time. And I remember thinking, this program is magic. And now I know why. <laughs> and now whenever anyone says that to me, like I, I ask, well, how old were they? Because remember in the middle school magic, you have to be really careful because people will say, you know, oh, I tried this like vision therapy thing, which yes. dyslexia is not vision based, right? It's processing. And they'll be like, oh, I just couldn't believe it. You know, and I'll say, well, how old was were they? And then when they were 12 or 13, and I'm like, that was middle school magic. <laughs> that wasn't the program. So then I think what I might be hearing you say then is that there's a couple ingredients. You know, you need to read aloud a lot so that your kids want to read. So they have that motivation to want to get good stories. They need a good systematic reading program that's good for dyslexic learners that works with the way their brain is wired. And then they need time. They just need time. You, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I also like if you have a child that is kind of aware of their like maybe a younger sibling is reading better than them or Sunday school, they realize, oh, my gosh, you know, like these other kids are reading and I can't. I really am a strong believer in acknowledging that they're dyslexic. I wrote a children's book on it as well, because if you don't tell a kid that there's a reason why they're struggling, they're going to assume what everybody else is assuming, that they're not very smart. And that's a rotten way to grow up, you know, and, and just explaining what it is and then explaining to them the strengths. And then if you're a Christian, like for my kids, I've told them, you were created by God with a purpose. I know that there have got to be listeners today who are listening, thinking, Oh my goodness, I there are so many things in my head, you know, so many things are bells are ringing for them as far as what might be happening in their child's reading life, their child's learning life. And one of the things that was discouraging to me at the beginning of learning about dyslexia was finding out that, you know, it's quote unquote best for a dyslexic child to be remediated or get that systematic reading instruction that's really good for dyslexic kids starting at a young age. But what about those who are listening who have kids who are 12 or 14 or 15 and their parents are realizing, oh, I think you might need to learn a different way. What do you have to say for them? Is it is it too late? You know, did they mess it up? <laughs> no. So so there's a couple points. Let me just one is if you feel like they need remediation, you know, if you feel like their reading and spelling is still not, it still needs help. There is, you could hire a tutor. You could do something like All About Reading. I recommend this program called Reading Horizons. It's an online Orton Gillingham program. And they have two levels, one for kids, I think four to nine and one for 10 and up. The one for 10 and up is gold. It's like, there's a lot of people that like teaching textbooks. It's like teaching textbooks for reading. It's just systematic there's no bunny rabbits and butterflies, you know, it's just black and white, systematic. And I often run my my kids through there once they've learned to read, I'll just run them through and they learn all the rules. So, so you can remediate an older child and you can offer them accommodations, which are things like audiobooks. It's things like assistive technology where they can speak their papers or you can scribe for them. You know, under, it's never, ever too late. Like if you realize that your child has been struggling because of dyslexia, learn about it together. Like it's part of school, right? Just start telling them about what dyslexia is and the famous dyslexics like you were mentioning and give them the support that they need. My one son who's profoundly dyslexic, the older one, he was doing his Eagle Scout project 
And he would come to me because it was a lot of paperwork. And he was like, mom, you know, can you help me with this? And I'm like, look, bud, if you're going to be an Eagle Scout, you need to do your own, <laughs> your own notebook. <laughs> <laughs> and his tutor was like, oh, my goodness, you know, and, and she was like helping him to fill out all this paperwork. And, you know, I came to learn later that all of the kids who got Eagle Scout, all of their parents helped them with the paperwork, whether they were dyslexic <laughs> or not. And I was like, oh, so you really cannot help a kid too much. When they don't want help, believe me, they're going to tell you they don't want any help, right? Um, <laughs> That's true. So I would rather err on the side of helping too much as, a, as opposed to not helping enough and leaving them stranded. You know what I mean? And that's always, isn't that like the struggle of homeschooling? <laughs> it's like, am I doing too much and enabling them to be lazy? Or, uh, but with kids with dyslexia, you know, if they need help, I would definitely help them. And just oftentimes writing can be difficult for older dyslexic kids. It's, they might have all the ideas and stuff, but it's actually getting it out of their head onto paper, sometimes called dysgraphia. Dysgraphia is a really, it's like difficulty with writing. And it could be due to small motor issues. It could be due to large motor issues, but a lot of times it's just processing. It's that language processing. It's trying to get the words out of the brain and onto paper. And so a lot of times, like a graphic organizer or a web, you know, the web, the wheels, idea wheels or whatever, those kinds of visuals tools can be really helpful for older kids. But again, you know, using a writing program that's systematic, which, you know, many are, you know, you have the brainstorming stage and then you have the outlining stage and then you build a thesis and, you know, just teaching them systematically and using the same system over and over. I kind of apply the Orton-Gillingham principles of teaching reading to other subjects so that you're just breaking things down into little pieces and teaching each specific thing and letting them get good at it. So like my kids did IEW for years. And at the beginning, I would do like write everything, basically. I'd write the outlines, like they would say. So they're just, they're telling it to you and you're writing it it for Mm -hmm. them. Yeah. And then I would type their papers and then gradually... I would have them speak their papers and then they got better at typing and then they would type them. And then I'd have them do the outlines themselves. And, you know, I gradually released more responsibility to them as they were ready. And like those kids are great writers now. Okay, so you mentioned two things in there uh, that you can't help your child too much which I think is a really a watershed idea for homeschooling parents to hold on to because, <laughs> because we tend to think that we're doing our kids a disservice when we're helping them. But Andrew Putua, speaking of IEW, the founder of IEW, once told a story about how he was at a school doing a writing training and one of the students you know, wasn't writing and Andrew's walking around the room because they're supposed to be, I don't know, brainstorming or whatever. I don't, I'm not sure what phase they were in, what stage they were in in the program. But anyway, a student raises his hand and says, I just, I don't know what to write. And so Andrew tells him, oh, okay, write this and tells him what to write. And the teacher who was in the room said, you can't do that. You're doing his work for him. And Andrew said, well, I'm here to teach him to write. So now I'm teaching him how to write. I'm teaching him what to write. That's how, <laughs> that's what it is. And so it's in our head, we kind of thought that too, right? Like the first time I heard that story, I thought, well, you can't do the work for him. And then you realize what is teaching? We're modeling. We're showing them what to do. You're getting the kindling going, you know? Yeah. Like you gotta get yeah. the kindling going so that the rest of the fire can go and whatever it takes, kind of like the birds and the bees, you know, I just give them a little bit at a time. Like, yeah. <laughs> like if they're asking, I'll keep telling, but I'm like, 
I don't give too much away at first, you know, I just kind of wait until they ask. So good. Well, we're going to dive in again in the next episode. Before we do, what is just your one takeaway for parents from this episode who are listening and thinking, okay, what's the first step? I'm going to tell you that your takeaway should be to go read <laughs> Marianne's book, Dyslexia 101. <laughs> we'll have a link in the show notes. You can find it online. Marianne, what do you? What would you like to say? To- I, would, I would really say to get educated. Really, I think getting educated about dyslexia is so important because our kids are really bright and they have a lot of potential and we don't want to waste a lot of time and energy trying to pound them into these square pegs, so to speak, into a round hole. Understanding how they learn, understanding their strengths, and you know your kid better than anybody. So you're totally way ahead of the game. Good stuff, right? Now, I did a follow-up episode with Marianne. It's episode 176, Homeschooling with Dyslexia. So if you are feeling seen in this episode, if anything in this episode resonated and you thought, oh, now I need more, head to episode 176 next and listen to that one. And Marianne's really going to peel back the curtain on why homeschooling is such a fabulous option for kids with dyslexia, and then what you might want to adjust or do differently if you do suspect dyslexia in your kids. And I cannot highly recommend enough her website, homeschoolingwithdyslexia.com. So head there for any more resources or help that you need. Okay? Now let's hear from Read Aloud Revival Kids as to what they've been enjoying lately. Hello, my name is Rowan Daniel Vandiver. And I'm nine years old, and I'm from Fort Gibson, Oklahoma, the oldest town in Oklahoma. And my favorite books in the world are the Lord of the Rings series. I like these books because they're very full of adventure, and they can be breathtaking sometimes. Hi, I'm Roy, and I'm living in Wisconsin, and and my favorite book is... Messi watching goes for lots because because Messi has an oink and she threw out a truck and she went bonk right onto her head. Oh no, was she okay? Yeah, I know. She was okay, but she walked it out. Hello, my name is Joseph and I live in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I like the Island of the Blue Dolphins because the main character has to be brave and creative to survive on on her own on an island. Hello, my name is Damien and I live in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And I like Frendel because it is about Nick Allen who makes up a word that is called friendel and it means pen but he and his friends don't say pen they say friendel instead thank you kids i hope you enjoyed this best of episode i'll be back in a couple of weeks with a special guest who's never been on the show before who could it be Well, you'll find out in two weeks. (laughs) In the meantime, go make meaningful and lasting connections with your kids through books. Are you still here? 
Okay, well, I am too. And I wanted to check to see if you've had a chance to download the samples from RAR Premium yet. RAR Premium is committed to helping you become the peaceful, happy mom you're called to be so that your kids know deep in their bones that you just love homeschooling them and also so that they can become lifelong voracious readers. Get a free sample of RAR Premium by going to readaloudrevival.com sample or by texting the word RAR sample like it's one word all squished together <laughs> to the number 33777.